Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. And today we're joined by Frank Viola, who's the author of a new book called Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. It's a pretty hefty book, but it is dealing with a very serious subject in our culture today and how we as Christians refocus and recalibrate ourselves to be on mission with God. So it's a great privilege to have him with us today. Uh, Frank, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. My privilege, Adam. Why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself? I'm sure that many of our listeners would know you by name, but for those who don't, tell us a little bit about you, your background, and your passion for the Kingdom of God. Well, I guess this probably goes back to 2008 when I put out a book with George Barna entitled Pagan Christianity, uh, which was a bombshell dropped on the Christian playground. And in that book, what George and I did is we uncovered historically the church traditions and the things we do for Sunday morning church in most denominations and in most movements, and showed that the roots of those things did not come from Scripture. They came out of Greco-Roman paganism and were baptized, wrapped in swaddling clothes, (laughs) and brought right into the Christian family, and uh, most of God's people, when they enter into a church service from beginning to end, never question where any of it came from. Mm. And so that book was highly controversial, yet we had many Nicodemuses, uh, (laughs) quote-unquote, writing us privately, these were pastors, saying, thank God someone had the courage to say it how it is. I've been struggling with every Sunday morning, opening the doors of the building, closing the doors of the building and saying, there's got to be more than this. This cannot be it. Mm. And uh, so that book gave a lot of language for a lot of Christians, hundreds of thousands of Christians all over the world, to show that there's something higher and better when it comes to what we call church. What's in church in the first century, the way it was practiced, very, very different from what it is today. So that's sort of my background. I'm someone who questions traditions. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes back to the New Testament. And your newest book here is, is you know, an insurgence. It's it's in that same vein. It's in that same kind of, uh, kind of a focal point as we're trying to think about how we calibrate ourselves to think of, of our calling not as as uh, just members of a church, but really members on mission for the kingdom of God, right? Well, Insurgents is another book, correct, that does that very thing, that questions cherished traditions, particularly when it comes to what the gospel really is, and also what the kingdom of God really is from the New Testament perspective, from Jesus and the apostles. And so what Insurgents does is it, number one, deconstructs and shows that what most Christians have heard as the gospel has been incredibly diluted Mm -hmm. and stripped of its power and its cutting edge. This is the reason why Christianity is in the state it's in right now, because the gospel being proclaimed is not the gospel of the kingdom in most cases. And also, we do the same thing with the kingdom of God. We show that what most Christians say the kingdom of God is really misses the mark of what Jesus and the apostles taught. So 
It is a controversial book uh, in that sense, but it has landed in the hearts of so many of God's people, so many emails, so many letters saying, I feel like I'm born again all over again. This is, I never knew, I never knew the Lord like I do now. And so God has breathed on it and we're just humbled and, and uh, thankful for that. Yeah, I want want to talk about that point in particular because uh, we've made a concerted effort to make sure that we rightly articulate the gospel and and do so in a way, in a context where it has been muddied down. We talk a lot about the gospel. Uh, like I say here, you know, as we say gospel, 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 gospel. We sound like evangelical turkeys, but we're never actually getting into the gospel and actually saying what it is. Um, why is that so important in our day? Because the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way that Jesus presented it, he called it the gospel of the kingdom, and the way that the apostles present it, they also, too, called it the gospel of the kingdom, is so revolutionary. It is so powerful, but it has the ability, when it's understood properly and proclaimed with power, to jar men to their teeth, Mm -hmm. to shake nations, to turn kingdoms around. Now, brother, that's not happening in the United States. Mm. It just isn't. And the reason is because the earth-shaking, titanic, all-powerful, groundbreaking gospel of the kingdom of God has been lost to us. And what we hear most of the time out of pulpits and radio and TV and Christian airwaves is not the gospel of the kingdom. It's something that is so drained, it's so anemic, it's so superficial that we have lost that incredible gospel that basically turned the first century Roman Empire on its ear. And so I wrote the book because I want to see it recovered, and it's called Insurgents because it is being recovered in a small way. God willing, it'll grow. <laughs> but as people read the book, they'll, they'll understand better what I'm describing. Hmm. But it is that powerful. H- how have we watered down the gospel? What have we actually done to make it uh, less powerful, and why does it need to be uh, re-insurged with, with this power? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I take a a good piece of the book Mm -hmm. to answer it. Basically, we have two Gospels today in the mainstream, in evangelical Christianity especially. And the one Gospel is the Gospel that says that if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for my sins, He rose again the third day, but I will go to heaven when I die. And, brother, that is not the gospel. (laughs) Now, that's a a small piece of it, but it is not the gospel in the New Testament. Mm. Not even close to that. The other gospel is, if we follow Jesus of Nazareth, we do so to make the world a better place. So we try to get better education. We try to get better health care. We leverage the political process, whatever side you're on, the Christian right or the progressive left. And we try to do this to make the world a better place because that's what Jesus did. And that's the gospel. And uh, brother, both of those missed the mark by a considerable distance. And so what the gospel of the kingdom is, it transcends both of those. It's something far higher, far more powerful, far more revolutionary. Jesus died as an insurgent. And if he preached, believe in me and you'll go to heaven, he would not have been crucified. He wouldn't have been a threat if he said, oh, well, I'm here to make the world a better place. (laughs) It would not have put him to death, man. He was a revolutionary. Mm -hmm. He preached something that was outside of what the Sadducees 
and the Pharisees were preaching. Those are the equivalents of the Christian right and the progressive left today. And it, that's the kind of division here. You're talking about two completely different sides of our our system, uh, and you're suggesting that they're both errant? They, they've both gone too far? Are we extremist in this regard? Oh, no, it's not extremist. It's that they're banging the wrong drum. Hmm. So, for example, Jesus of Nazareth, he gave the Pharisees apoplexy, and they were the equivalent of the religious right of our time, the conservative right, which many Christians, they fly the flag of the conservative right, and they equate it with the kingdom of God. And that's why on social media, you know, so many of them uh, will just run into a fit and become almost violent verbally over their political views. But the Pharisees, the conservative right of Jesus' day, didn't want to have anything to do with them. They wanted to kill them. <laughs> so he did not fit into that paradigm. The same thing with the Sadducees. They were the equivalent of the progressive left of their day. And they did not like Jesus Christ either. He did not fit into their paradigm. What Jesus did is he brought in a brand new vision of a new civilization on this planet that ran, that ran contrary to both the Jewish way of living and the Roman way of living. And he called it the kingdom of God. And it was revolutionary. And it didn't fit into the progressive left of his day, and it didn't fit into the conservative right. And yet Christians have never heard an alternative. All they know is conservative right or progressive left, mm. theologically as well as politically. Mm. And so that's the problem. Uh, they've never been given a different view. And that's what the book Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom attempts to do. It, it seems that a lot of the reasons why I become so polarized is because we're tribal by nature and we're, we're allowing other people's thoughts and other people as leaders to kind of direct us as opposed to being like the Bereans and getting into the Word of God and truly allowing the Word of God and the gospel message to, to direct us, right? Yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah, they're echo chambers. Mm -hmm. That's what you're describing, the echo chamber. And, and if you diverge from the echo chamber, you know, then you are quarantined. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why, you, yeah, that's why you see bloodbaths on Facebook and Twitter from Christians drawing their swords against other Christians over politics. And it's because they're living in an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't believe that. See, here's the problem. When you go to the Bible, like you're saying, without having someone who has really seen what the Lord is saying, like the apostles, for example, in their day, right? We filter it through our own theological or political grid. Mm -hmm. So then we turn Jesus into, you know, a conservative right activist, or we turn him into a progressive left activist, because we filter the scripture through that grid. And so mm -hmm. what needs to happen is someone needs to dismantle that grid. And then what happens is you have a person who hears that gospel of the kingdom or who reads it has an experience that turns the paradigm on its head. And they say, this is the hidden obvious. How did I miss this? Well, it's because we've been reading the Bible with filters. And this is true for all of us. You know, I mean, I did it for years. You know, I was part of one political and theological camp. And because someone gave me that paradigm and that grid to filter the Bible through. And so it's a process to, to dismantle that. And so basically, I wrote that book. That book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, is 10 years in the making. 
you know, I didn't just wake up and say, I'm going to write this book. It was 10 <laughs> years of the Lord dismantling my own understanding of the gospel and the kingdom, and then rebuilding that into something new. I love the quote uh, from A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. He says, how tragic that we in this dark day have had our thinking done for us by our, 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 our teachers. And uh, that was never meant to be the case where Paul is writing and says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a very personal and intimate level of, of engaging with with our call as disciples of Jesus to be in, involved in the process of building the kingdom of God, right? Yeah, yeah. Tozer was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, a, he was a prophet in his day, a little P, and, you know, he understood what surrender to Jesus of Nazareth was all about. Mm-hmm. And he lived it, and he had a very close relationship with the Lord that was real and authentic. I quote him in the book. I quote other people who really had a grasp of the gospel of the kingdom before me. And I, I owe a debt to them because they opened the door through which I was able to walk and expand. And so I'm standing on the shoulders of giants and God willing, those who come after me in future generations will do the same. How, how easy is it for us as Americans who are really quite comfortable within our society, this marriage between the culture and our Christianity, it's starting to be a little bit rubbed, especially here in New England and the Northeast, where, where Christianity is being kind of pushed out towards the edges, but we're still relatively close to our culture. Uh, does that affect us in seeing the gospel of the kingdom when we are seeing this kingdom in such a, a great kind of prevalence of influence over us? Well, that is a fantastic question, because you have isolated and nailed one of the major obstacles to hearing and understanding and receiving the gospel of the kingdom, and it's, it's our culture. And see, as Americans, for the most part, Americans are very wealthy compared to people in other parts of the world. And by that, I mean we are attached to our possessions to our security, and to our comfortable way of living. And this is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. This is what the Gentiles seek after. And this is what people worry over, even Christian people. And so when the gospel of the kingdom comes, and it has within it this sharp edge to forsake all and follow him, the American mind begins to say, well, hmm, I need to, I need to reframe this. <laughs> to fit my comfortable lifestyle, surely God doesn't want me not to have security. You know, surely he doesn't want me um, not to have attachments to my possessions. So the culture really causes us, for the most part, to reframe and reinterpret and dilute and water down the gospel of the kingdom, parts of it. So yeah, it's a powerful, powerful thing, man. And for most Americans, it is hard to really receive that message. It takes a, a pint of blood and a pound of flesh. <laughs> um, but with God, all things are possible. And if someone's heart is truly open, the Lord will work with them. But we need His mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, because if not, then we're just going to reinterpret it to suit our comfortable lifestyle. 
I think it's uh, part of the issue here is that we've become kind of inoculated to the gospel because we've become familiar with the concept, but we're not actually hearing the gospel. We're not listening to the gospel of the kingdom, so we're not being reminded of that. So it's allowed us to kind of live in these two worlds very comfortably, right? Because we're not being reminded of the the gospel of the kingdom, which is what Jesus proclaimed throughout all of his his messages to the people, as well as what the disciples repeated in the New Testament, that we're to live as separate from this world. I think of the story of the, the rich young ruler, where he told the, the man to sell all that he had and, and give it to the poor and to come and follow Jesus. That kind of message, we kind of, we wash it, we sanitize it before we preach it, right? Because that really is jarring, but that's what you're talking about. The gospel itself is supposed to be jarring. Bingo, exactly. And that's what we do with the Bible. We water it down, we dilute it, we we go through all these mental gymnastics to try to, you know, make it suitable to our current lifestyle. And that is that is what we're up against. And that's why I try to, in the book, you know, strip all that away and show us how Jesus and the apostles were not preaching a different gospel. They were preaching the exact same message. And uh, around about the 1900s, the mid-1900s, there grew up a new doctrine. This is 1900 years after Jesus, so it is new, that said, well, Jesus preached the kingdom and Paul preached grace. And the kingdom was to the Jews and the grace is to the Gentiles. And so you had this way of dismantling the cutting edge of what Jesus taught by uh, compartmentalizing it to a certain group of people that doesn't apply to us today. And one of the things I do is I take dead aim at that way of thinking in, in the book and show clearly, clear. I mean, it's beyond dispute that what Jesus and Paul preached was the same thing. Mm. Jesus preached grace and Paul preached grace. Paul preached the kingdom and Jesus preached the kingdom. Uh, anybody who has a New Testament can read the book of Acts and you will see that Paul Tarsus preached the gospel of the kingdom. So did Philip in the book of Acts. He brought the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom to Samaria. And the message was the same. You know, I I think one of the concepts that we often um, miss is that uh, we don't think that the gospel is actually a powerful enough message. Right, the gospel is we've, as you've said, we've watered it down in such a way that we're afraid to actually even share it because we don't think it's enough to actually make the changes in our culture, make the changes in our society, make the changes in our own community that uh, we want to see happen. Is it because we've just misappropriated the gospel and don't actually understand it, or do we actually have have we lost faith in the message itself? Well, I think it's probably the former because, you know, I I have to say this. I mean, I've been a Christian for many, many, many years. And it wasn't until I think it was around 2009, 2010, that I first heard the gospel of the kingdom. And I heard it without filters. You know, I was not able to filter it through my present understanding. And, you know, I mean, the Holy Spirit is, is operative and and causing us to see what we've not seen before and causes us to hear truth without filters. And then over the course of the next 10 years, it's been an unpacking of that glorious, incredible message. And so my point being is that I was around every denomination you can think of for years and years, you know, from the Southern Baptist to the Reformed, 
to the Church of Christ, to the CMA, to the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, on all the flavors in between. (laughs) And I never heard the gospel of the kingdom, brother. And so most Christians today, I can say this with confidence. I know this from the response to the book from thousands and thousands of people from all quarters. Most people have never heard the gospel of the kingdom. They've heard little pieces of it. They've heard little parts of it. And oftentimes it's couched in legalism. Mm and brings great condemnation on people. But the gospel of the kingdom, when it's properly preached and understood, brings great freedom and liberty. I, I think that that's important because we, we kind of piecemeal the gospel. We don't actually ever step back and, and look at it as a whole and connect the dots, right? The, the kingdom is not just that Christ died for our sins so that we can have a ticket to heaven. Yeah, and even to take it to another level, it, the kingdom of God is an alternative civilization that has a completely different way of life and being, a completely different culture Mm -hmm. that's operating in the midst of the world system of fallen human civilization. And God has put his judgment on fallen human civilization. And therefore, most Christians, because the gospel of the kingdom is so costly, have chosen to believe in Jesus but then also live in fallen human civilization, taking on much of its values and its culture. So this is where the big break comes. And what water baptism was in the first century, it was the breaking of the loyalty oath to fallen human civilization, to the world system, to renounce the security, to provision, and the enjoyment of the world system, and rather opt for all of those things in the kingdom of God. And it looks very different in the kingdom of God than it does in the world. Yeah, so it's not about going to heaven, but neither is it about making the world a better place. Mm. Both of those two versions of the gospel are not the gospel of the kingdom. Now, you've written a lot of these chapters in shorter length. I mean, there's none of them are, are what we would consider full-length chapters, and yet it's, it's not really uh, designed as a devotional, although it might be very useful in that context. So is your motivation in writing these sh- kind of shorter uh, pieces so that people have actual time to think and meditate and to contemplate your ideas? Well, I appreciate you uh, observing that, uh, because that was a big push that I had to have with a publisher because it is a non-conventional. Yeah, most of the chapters are one page to three pages long. If a chapter's three pages long, it's long. (laughs) (laughs) So most of them are one page or two pages. And I'll tell you the reasons for it. Uh, The first reason is, Adam, I am a slow reader and I cannot stand books that have long chapters because I feel like I'm never finishing. It's just so grueling and tedious. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I wanna, (laughs) do unto others what you would have them do unto you. I want all authors to write short chapters. (laughs) Uh, So I feel like I'm making progress. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I did it. The other reason is we live in a day where people are now accustomed to short sound bites and blogs, just reading long, long, involved, intense chapters. It makes it very hard to digest. So I wanted to make this so easy to digest for the reader to just go through They can meditate on the chapter. It's short enough to do that. And also they can get through the book, even though it's like a 400-page book. Because of the way it's arranged, it's it's a quick read. So that's why I did it. And uh, like I said, I had difficulty with the publisher at first because 
I'd never seen anything like that except if it was a devotional. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously this is not a devotional, yet I think it works really well, and lots of people have given appreciation for the format. Yeah, I think people, uh, you're, saying, you're saying a lot of things that are different than what they might be reading in a book. You, you don't camp them in, in long paragraphs and long uh, kind of illustrative qualities. You're, you're making some very, very provocative points, and that requires some time to think, right? It, it requires a little yes. bit of a slowing down process to really think through what you're saying, because some of it's very nuanced, right? Yes, and also, too, as you've noticed, I'm sure, after each section of the book, I think there's five or six sections, there's a taking action mm-hmm. chapter. And there I slow the reader down and say, all right, let's just stop here. Let's not go on. Let's put this into practice. How can you, the reader, make this practical, what you've just read, into your own life? How can you flesh it out? And so the taking action sections are huge because you know, this book is not just to be read and, you know, you nod your head, oh, wasn't that nice, and put it on your bookshelf and go to the next one. This book is to transform your life and to change you, to radically adjust things in your life. And uh, so that's why I have the taking action sections as well, to make the book practical. It's not just, you know, something that's mindy and heady. It strikes at the heart of the reader and then gives them tools where they can actually put all of it into practice. Now, we're living in a culture that um, it's, especially here in New England and the Northeast, where it seems that the world is pulling away from the Christian roots, Christian society, um, and it, it's starting to be uh, create a lot of fear in in the people that are seeing all of these things happening. Uh, but we as people of the kingdom, we're meant to live out of faith, right? Not fear. So how do we, for the questions I'm sure that many of them are asking is, is it going to make a difference? Can we see a, a resurgence and insurgence of the gospel? Can we see revival take place? It seems so foreign in our culture today. Well, there's two things. There's the word revolution and there's the word revival. Now, what revival does is it takes something that's dead and brings it back to life in the same state it was in before it died. Mm. So revival brings us up back up to ground zero. What we need, in my view, is not a revival because what's dead is dead for a reason. You know, current cultural Christianity is dead for a reason. I don't want to see it revived. You know, it stinks to high heaven. It's weak. It's insipid. It's superficial. It's diluted. Most of the churches that have folded, they're just doing church based on John Calvin's liturgy that goes back to the 500s. It's changed very little in its structure, okay, despite the technology and stuff. And so I don't want to see church revived. What I want to see is a revolution. And that's what this book calls for, a brand new unveiling of what the gospel was in the first century, a brand new way of being Christian community, a la church, a brand new vision and encounter with Jesus Christ, this world's true Lord. And so I'm not worried at all about the decline of quote-unquote Christianity. I think the Christianity that we have and that we've been living off of is, is pretty insipid. We need something new. 
Revolution. Revolution. <laughs> yeah, in, in saying that, people have tried to do that in the past. People have, there have been movements in the past to completely change the paradigm, uh, but uh, those have died off. Those have not, uh, and some of them have not actually been rooted in the Word of God. Uh, what makes your emphasis in, in the book Insur- Insurgents different from all of those other movements that have tried to change the paradigm? I don't know what movements you're talking about. Can you give me an, exa- give me an example of what you're talking about? Well, I, I think that there's been a lot of movements to offer uh, a new wave from different denominations, as well as the kind of postmodern church that was trying to rethink how church was. And, and, and in some ways, movements have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. But uh, what are you actually suggesting in that context? Yeah, well, the only movements that I know that have moved the needle are, are movements within the Christian culture that have like adjusted or added something to the existing church. Mm-hmm. And what usually happens, like I'll, I'll give you an example, like the vineyard movement that started in the late seventies. Okay. That was a third wave. They called it that tried to meld together evangelicalism with Pentecostalism. It's still with us today, but what tends to happen is after the founders die, it becomes more ritualistic and more institutional where at first it's living and breathing. Now, let me be clear. I'm not starting a movement. I'm observing something that's happening and giving language to it. Any leader in the the body of Christ is only responsible to the generation to which he speaks or she speaks. So I'm responsible for my generation, not after. But I'm not trying to start a movement. I don't see the insurgents as a movement. I see it as a work of God, and I'm just observing it and giving language for it based on how the terrain looks from my little hill. What advice do you have for um, our listeners who are feeling that, that uh, kind of, um, you know, that uh, unsatisfied nature, that unsatisfied with, with where we're at as a culture, where we're at as a church, where we're at as a Christian community? Uh, what kind of advice or encouragement do you have for them on how to, to get that resurgence, get that insurgence of the gospel back into their daily lives? Well, that's a great question. The first thing I would say is you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my ministry is, uh, the tagline for it is, there must be more. Mm. There must be more than this. And that was the heart cry that pounded in my chest as a young believer, and it's still there. There's got to be more than this. But I believe I have found that which is more. Of course, there's a lot more than what I see. <laughs> so I'm growing. I'm still in school. But there must be more. And if you feel that way, you're not alone. The second thing I would encourage you to do is go to the website insurgents.org, insurgents.org, because you will see sample chapters of the book. You will get to listen to audios for free, videos for free. You know, there's just a lot of free content on there. And if it scratches the itch uh, that you have, you may want to go deeper. Yeah, we put that out there because there's so many people who, as you described, are saying, I'm not satisfied. I know there's got to be more than this. That's why we have those free resources on insurgents.org. And of course, you are a blogger. Your own um, website is uh, frankviola.org, and uh, people can follow you. Uh, this is a reminder and an encouragement that there's much more to to what we've been called to do, and um, when, we're going to find great joy in that as well. It's not just uh, uh, the work of the kingdom. There's a great pleasure and joy in being a part of what God is doing. We're, we're part of it, right? Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the abundant life that Jesus talked about, the joy that he talked about, is found in kingdom living. 
And so the question for us is, well, what does that mean? And what is the prize tag? But there's the joy that's set before us. That's on the other side of the surrender part of the gospel of the kingdom. But, you know, so many Christians today lack joy and they, they lack contentment. And a big part of that is because we've, we've not heard the gospel of the kingdom, nor received it, nor, nor have obeyed it. And so, you know, that's, that's my heart's cry. And I'm on that journey myself. You know, I haven't arrived. I'm no expert. I'm someone who's seen something, heard something. And I'm sharing it with others in the spirit of this has helped me. I hope it helps you. Some great encouragement as we've been talking with Frank Viola about his book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. Frank, again, thank you so much for sharing your story, your passion for the gospel, and uh, and really your, your intensiveness that you've put into this book to encourage the church to wake up and be a part of what God is doing. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.